There we are in uh, Leviticus chapter 23. We're going to spend about three weeks on this text. Uh, and we'll do several different things with this text. But since we're going to be looking at how the, um, how the uh, Jewish festivals, the Jewish calendar, uh, the Jewish feast days impact the Gospels, because uh, Jesus was a Jew who came in fulfillment of Jewish scriptures to be the Jewish Messiah. Uh, he lived and died a Jew, as did all Christians for the first hundred years of our existence. Uh, as we went more and more to the world, we got a little bit further and further away from Jerusalem, uh, both geographically and ideologically. But um, uh, So he was a practicing Jew. We talked about all of this, some of this last week. He was a practicing Jew. All of the authors of the New Testament um, are Jewish, except one who was Gentile. And he, uh, we can tell from his writings, he was what we called in the first century a God-fearer. A God-fearer, that was a technical term in the first century. A God-fearer was someone who was Gentile, but they attached themselves to the Jewish community. They liked the high ethical standards of the Jewish community. They liked the monotheism, the view of one God in the Jewish community. A lot of reasons that Gentiles were attaching themselves to the, to the Jewish community. So, uh, again, this is review, but remember we as Christians, we are a new way of being Jewish. Uh, after the destruction of the temple in 70 A.D., about 40 years after Jesus, uh, there were only two Jewish religious sects or groups that, that survived the destruction of the temple. One was the Pharisees. Uh, they went to Jamnia on the coast, and they, they took Judaism, and rather than being a religion of um, uh, temple sacrifice, a religion focused on the temple, it became a religion that was portable, because they had no temple after 70 A.D. It became a portable religion based on Torah study, Bible study, uh, prayer and acts of loving kindness. So the Pharisees made all that happen at the destruction of the temple. And the only other group of Jews that survived the destruction of the temple, and part of it had to do because they, they were not as enmeshed or immersed or enchanted with the temple as some other Jews. Uh, the only other group of Jews that survived the destruction of the temple in 70 AD were you and me, the Nazarenes, the people of the way, uh, what becomes the Christian community. Um, we were the only two Jewish groups that survived uh, the destruction of the temple in 70 AD. Now, also keep in mind, every time we talk about these Jewish groups, whether it's Pharisees, Sadducees, Essenes, Nazarenes, that was one of our titles. Um, when we talk about these Jewish groups, we always should say probably 80% of the Jews in the first century didn't belong to any of these. Uh, they were just run-of-the-mill Jews trying to make a living. But there were some Jewish groups that we know of. Um, and the two that survived the destruction of the temple were the Pharisees and then the Nazarenes, the, the, what became the Christian community. So I, 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 we talked about that last week. Uh, Judaism is really important to us. That's why three-quarters of your Bible is Old Testament, which is a Christian term. It's offensive to Jews because Old Testament makes it sound like our new and improved testament has somehow outdated their testament. So I, I try to, particularly if I'm in mixed company, I'll say Hebrew Bible and Christian scriptures. But I'm probably not in mixed company here, so I'll call it Old Testament. But the Old Testament is uh, three-quarters of your Bible. We debated in early Christianity whether to keep the Old Testament or not. And you can tell we chose to keep it. 
Um, so three quarters of your Bibles, Hebrew Bible, Old Testament. I hope you know it. Hope you spend time in it. And then um, um, we we are Jewish by worldview. We are Jewish in so many different ways because we were all Jewish in the Christian community for the first hundred years. Uh, Judaism, Jewish Christians still maintained a pretty strong presence in the Jewish community for another couple hundred years, um, but depending on what city you were in as to how many Jews you had in, in that community. But anyway, so Leviticus chapter 23 is one of the places where the Jewish holidays are all presented to you at one place at one time. Um, so we're going to be looking at these Jewish holidays. Uh, and if you look at your uh, schedule for the year, you'll see how, what, what New Testament text we'll be looking at eventually where these holidays um, have a big impact on what's happening in that text. The Gospel of John particularly. The Gospel of John is all about how Jesus is the new temple and how Jesus is the fulfillment of uh, the Jewish holidays. So if you're going to understand those big ideas that John the Gospel is giving you as Jesus being the new temple and Jesus being the fulfillment of the Jewish holidays, guess what? You need to know something about the temple. You need to know something about Jewish holidays because that's how Jesus is being presented. Anyway, so for three weeks, we're going to be really studying these Jewish holidays. Now, a couple words about the Jewish holidays in general. Um, oh, by the way, today is Simchat Torah. You know what that is? It's the last day of the Feast of uh, Sukkot. It's the last days of the Days of All. It's the last day of the fall festivals. But today is one day. It's called Simchat Torah. Uh, Simchat Torah. Remember I told you Sukkot or Festival of Booths or Festival of Tabernacles. Uh, the last festival of the year is the most joyous festival. Well, this is the most joyous of the most joyous festival this day. It started last night at sundown. It goes through sundown tonight. Simchat Torah. You see the word Torah there. Torah means law of God, instruction of God. Torah means um, can mean first five books of Moses. Um, Torah scroll is what you see in a synagogue that gets pulled out and read when the synagogue comes together to, to pray and study. Today is Simchat Torah. You see the word Torah there, so you know what Torah is, right? Simchat means um, the dance of the Torah. Because this day, today, finishes the, uh, the, the cycle of festivals in the Jewish faith. Yeah, remember, you got four. We talked about this last week. All this we review even more as we continue talking about this. Four festivals in the spring, three festivals in the fall. Today's the last day of the three fall festivals. Um, Simchat Torah is the dance of the Torah. So if you go to the Orthodox synagogue tonight, um, they will pull the Torah scroll out and they will dance seven times around the Torah scroll as a congregation. So it's the dance of the Torah because today ends the reading of the Torah cycle. Je Jesus and the Jews all had lectionaries. We Christians didn't invent that. Jesus and the Jews had lectionaries or assigned readings for every day. That's why in Luke chapter 4, when Jesus goes back to his synagogue, he didn't pull out his Bible and say, God, what do you lead me to preach on today? They handed him the scroll of Isaiah that was to be read that day. So Jews, and that's why Christians picked up lectionary. We have assigned readings for the day. 
you know, some of us preachers don't like that because I just rather tell you what I want to tell you every week and talk about my pet peeves every other Sunday. But most of us know the benefit of a lectionary with assigned readings. So today is the day where the annual assigned readings of the Torah ends. They have finished all five books of Moses. Uh, next Shabbat, they will start back over the, with the reading through the five books of Moses. This is Simchat Torah. So they thank God for the Torah. They dance around the Torah, a lot of, lot of, um, lot of joy. Uh, as they carry the Torah and dance, they see that symbolically as the Torah getting feet. Because part of what you need to do, and hopefully it's what you know too, part of what you need to do is take that Bible, take the Torah, take the Word of God, whatever part of, part of it you're talking about, uh, you need to put feet to what you've read. You need to put feet to what you're learning. So they dance seven times. Again, seven's a big number in biblical literature. They dance seven times around the Torah. So when we get to John chapter 7 and chapter 8, there's a really, really, those whole two chapters are about Jesus in Jerusalem celebrating Sukkot, celebrating festival of booths or tabernacles. And uh, at the end of those two chapters, you'll see something very, 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 very important that Jesus does. And what makes you know it's very important is he does it on the last great day of the festival. John tells you that. You probably never noticed because you weren't paying attention to Jewish calendar. But part of what he does on that part of John's gospel is he does on the last great day of the festival, which is today, the last great day of Sukkot. Uh, Simchat Torah is what it's called now. So when you see what Jesus does in John chapter 8, John tells you he did it on the last great day of the festival of Sukkot in the temple. That will help you understand what it is you're seeing Jesus doing. Anyway, so festivals, feast days, biblical holidays, all of those are terms for the same thing. There's four in the spring. There's three in the fall. There are other holidays. Like you'll notice, we will look at Hanukkah. Hanukkah is not a biblical festival. It does not occur in the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament. So that's why the Jews would tell you it's not a biblical festival. But it did pop up, occur, between the time of the two testaments, which is why Jesus knew about it. Uh, but it's not a biblical festival. It, it, it goes to the book of Maccabees, actually. But anyway, there's seven biblical festivals, four in the spring, uh, three in the fall. Um, here in Leviticus, you're going to get an introduction to those seven festivals. Um, by May the 18th, these seven festivals should mean a lot to you, particularly in regards to how Jesus fulfilled these seven festivals or will fulfill these seven festivals. Jesus actually fulfilled the first three festivals. Jesus fulfilled the spring festivals um, in his first coming. Jesus will, we think, will fulfill his the, the second three, the fall festivals, the one that's ending today, will fulfill the three fall festivals at his second coming. So that's exactly what Paul would think about when Paul would say, then the trumpet will sound and the dead in Christ shall rise. Why is the trumpet sounding? Festival of Rosh Hashanah, festival of trumpets. So when the early Christians read this, their stuff, the New Testament, they were reading with Jewish eyes. And we are at a disadvantage that we don't do that like we should. Anyway, um, Leviticus 23. I'm going to go through this rather quickly today just so that you see 
Sabbath and seven festivals. So don't get bogged down in the details because we, we have the next two weeks to spend some time with this. We have the next two weeks spending some time with these seven festivals. In the book of Leviticus, you see a holy people being called. Then you see holy priest being made. Then you see a holy building, tabernacle, be created. Well, now you're going to see the creation of holy days. And that's why the, the Jewish community and the Christian community, we have certain days that are holy, so holier than others. Well, so here are the creation of the holy days. Now, one word of caution. There's several other lists, like three other lists, shorter than this list, found in other places in the Torah, Pentateuch, first five books of Moses. Uh, none of the lists are identical to each other. So you always have to kind of keep that in mind. When you say, well, what happens on the Festival of Booths? None of the lists in the Bible are even identical. And you've also had now 3,000 years of tradition. Like, um, you know, it doesn't say anything in Sukkot that on the last day you take the Torah and you dance with it. It really doesn't say that there. But some of the traditions have, have developed. But here's sort of the birthplace of the traditions of these seven holidays. And... Um, the uh, book of Leviticus wants to make sure the children of Israel know this before they head into the land of promise. So this is going to be kind of a quick reading. Um, and in case you're curious, what I use for study all, almost all the time is the English Standard Version. So that may be different out of the 50 versions you, got to, you can choose from these days. Uh, English Standard is what I tend to teach from. Um, so it, whatever you have won't be too different from this in either direction. Uh, anyway, chapter 23, verse 1. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, These are the appointed feast of the Lord. In Hebrew, the word appointed feast is just one three-letter word in Hebrew, the hajj or the hawk. You ever hear about Muslims doing hajj to Mecca? The Arabic and Hebrew is very closely connected. So the appointed Feast are really appointed pilgrimages. Was not so much in the time of Leviticus as it as it became later. They uh, three in particular were appointed festivals. That's why you see Jesus keep going back to Jerusalem because you, you were supposed to go back to Jerusalem if at all possible uh, for for Passover, for Shavuot, and for Sukkot. If at all possible, you went back. Now, when Leviticus. Um, is, is penned. They're, they're in Jerusalem. They're living in Jerusalem, most of them. So it's not so much a pilgrimage festival. But in John's gospel, you see how much Jesus kept going to Jerusalem. Uh, that was not his hometown. He kept going to Jerusalem for these festivals. Anyway, so these are appointed. These are the appointed feast of the Lord that you shall proclaim as holy convocations or holy gatherings. Uh, you would call that holy gathering uh, by the sounding of the shofar, the Jewish trumpet, biblical trumpet. They are my appointed feast. So here in just a couple of verses, uh, appointed feast occurs twice. God's serious about this stuff. It starts off with the most important holy day for the Jewish community. And it's so important it occurs every week. Look at verse 3. Six days shall work be done. That's the way it's usually said in the Bible. I run across a lot of Americans I want to teach that commandment to. Six days' work shall be done. 
on the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, a holy convocation. You shall do no work. And, and I, I want to show you, notice it says no work here. It's going to change in a few minutes. But here, for Sabbath or Shabbat, you shall do no work. It is a Sabbath or Shabbat to the Lord in all your dwelling places. So uh, Sabbath, Shabbat, uh, from sundown on Friday to sundown on Saturdays, the whole, holiest day for the Jewish community. You shall do no work. You're going to notice in just a few moments. Here it says no work. Uh, they're going to qualify this for the festivals. But for Sabbath, there's no qualification. You shall do no work on the Sabbath. For the Jewish Sabbath is from sundown on Friday, sundown on Saturday. If you go to Israel with me, um, a lot of Orthodox Jews in Israel, the hotels we stay in are, are ran by Orthodox Jewish folks. You'll notice on the Sabbath, and our hotel, I don't know, has 11 floors maybe. It's a high-rise. But uh, on, the, on the Shabbat, there's a Shabbat elevator. I got on it one time, lasted for three floors. Because the Shabbat elevator, they'll, they'll, one of them gets programmed to be a Shabbat elevator. That means it stops at every floor, and it, the door is open for an extended period of time because you don't want to work by mashing the button, and you certainly don't want to work by pushing the doors apart when they're closing on you. So I got on the Shabbat elevator one time, and I thought, I'm a patient person. I can do this. I got off at the third floor, and I, think, I thought, I couldn't do this. Um, but they're serious about no work. The word Sabbath or Shabbat means cessation. You stop. Now, the theology of Sabbath, which is so central to the Jewish people, the theology of Sabbath is this. All of us need to take an opportunity to realize how dependent we are upon God. All of us need, after I said, you know, that I wish people would learn that you should work for six days, you also need to learn that you can take a whole day off and the world goes on fine without you. Um, one of the reasons we don't Sabbath well in our culture is that it is offensive to us. You know, like when I leave to go somewhere, I want the church just to fall apart while I'm gone. But guess what? You're fine when I come back. So the point of Sabbath is you trust God. You don't, you know, for much of Judaism, they would not even fight back if an enemy attacked on Sabbath. That's trust. So there's a lot of spirituality to the keeping of the Sabbath. It's not just dead ritual or legalism. There's, there's a lot of spirituality to the keeping of the Sabbath for the Jewish people. Um, it's all about trust God. You know God will provide. Um, you don't have to work 24-7. 20, 20, God will provide. God will care for you. The world doesn't need you as much as you think the world needs you. You know, the world needs God. Of God. I mean, think about it. This is being given to the people as they're making their way into the promised land. And they got all those Jebusites and Hittites and Amorites and Ammonites and all those people they've got to conquer. And they've got a whole new world to create and a whole new civilization to build. And God says, take one day off out of every seven. I'm sure they said, well, God, I got, I got stuff to do. And um, God said, take one day off out of every seven. Uh, Abraham Herschel Joshua Abraham Herschel, who was a famous, famous rabbi, made the famous statement when he said, um, Jews haven't kept the Sabbath as much as the Sabbath has kept the Jews. Every week, at the beginning of Sabbath, if they're practicing Jews, they, they, they're reminded of who God is. They're reminded of their relationship with God. That's why the Sabbath is the most 
most important day to the Jewish community. And that's why it occurs every week, every week. Um, and you notice it says, it is a Sabbath to the Lord in all your dwelling places. So you, you keep it in the home. You, do, you can go to synagogue um, now. But it's based on something you do in the home. You teach your family how to keep Sabbath. You light the Sabbath candles and all that. Uh, but it's, it's a strong reminder of your relationship to God that occurs once, once a week. For the Jewish community, sundown on Friday to sundown on Saturday. Now, here comes the seven festivals that are in the, behind all the New Testament literature. Verse 4 starts the Passover. And I'll probably give you a handout next week that will sort of review these festivals. But just enjoy the literature now. Verse 4. These are the appointed feasts of the Lord, the holy convocations, which you shall proclaim at the time appointed for them. In the first month, on the 14th day of the month, at twilight, is the Lord's Passover. We keep a solar calendar. I assume you know that. Our calendar is all about going around the sun. The Jewish community keeps a lunar calendar. Uh, they keep a lunar calendar based on the moon. Uh, that's why the new moons are important to them. That's, that's why our Easter moves around, because our Easter is connected to Passover. It's not connected to the sun. It's connected to the Jewish calendar. Um, we, talk, we have a lot of opportunities to talk about that, but theirs is a lunar calendar. Um, first, day, uh, first day of the month, on the 14th day of the month, at twilight begin. The new day begins in Judaism at sundown because that's the way the new days began in Genesis chapter 1 and 2. It was evening and morning one day. It was evening and morning day two. They always say evening first. Um, I don't know where we ever came up with midnight being the beginning of a new day. There's nothing special happens at midnight. You know, the, our ancients would have said either do it at the rising of the sun or the setting of the sun or the rising of the moon or the setting of the moon. I don't quite know. I don't get the midnight thing. But anyway, that's when we start days. But in Judaism, it's, it's, the day begins in the evening um, at twilight. And they actually say when you see three stars, uh, that, that creates the, the, that's when the new day begins. So verse 6, and on the 15th day of the same month is the Feast of Unleavened Bread. So you need to understand there's Passover, and then the next day you go into the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And the Feast of Unleavened Bread is for seven days. Now, you know what Passover is. I'm not going to spend much time there. You know about Jesus. You know about the connection. We'll have time to do this later in, in length. But you know about Jesus and Passover and Holy Communion. Uh, you know that Jesus was crucified on Passover as the lambs are being provided. As a matter of fact, I just looked. This year, Passover and Easter will be the same time. Um, so all the Passover theology... That goes back to Exodus chapter 12. Uh, all, of the, all of the traditions surrounding Passover has a huge impact on uh, the crucifixion, death, and burial of Jesus. Uh, so you got Passover. Then the next day is the beginning of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Uh, you, for seven days, um, you can have no leaven in your house. Leaven in the Bible, and you know this because you've read the Apostle Paul, leaven is a symbol for, um, for sin and evil. Uh, Jesus calls uh, the, the, the errors of the Pharisees the leaven of the Pharisees. So um, to, to, to not have leaven in your house means no evil for these seven days, no sin for these seven days. In Judaism uh, today, 
and for quite a while, uh, there's they, they have they have fun for the children at the beginning of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Uh, they take a feather, they take a little pan, and they go around the house and they hunt for for leaven. Now, as a parent, you have to stash some somewhere for the kids to find. You have to find some leavened bread, some leavened crackers, uh, kind of like Easter egg hunt. Uh, but you that's that, because what you have to do for the Feast of Unleavened Bread is to get all of the leaven out of your house. And you can include the kids in this. Judaism is very family-oriented. You include the kids in this. So you can um, you get the leaven out of the house. Now, I learned with the first rabbi with whom I studied, and again, I always hesitate to say things like this because you're going to think this is strange. They look at some of the things we Christians do, and we give them a run for their money in regards to doing strange things. But anyway, uh, I asked a rabbi, being a good Gentile, I asked a rabbi, the first one I ever studied with, Rabbi Richard Rockland in Charlotte. I said, okay, he's telling me all about the Feast of Unleavened Bread, no leaven in the house. So I said, so, Rabbi, you get rid of all your cornflakes and bread. I mean, I have to throw out half of what's in my kitchen to, to do this. What do you do if you're a Jewish restaurant owner during the Feast of Unleavened Bread? Here's the real answer. Um, you sell your cabinets or you sell your restaurant to a Gentile for that week. And then you get it back at the end of the week, hopefully. Be careful who you sell it to. Because they would sell it for like a dollar. They would sell it for like a dollar. So technically they don't own the cabinet. Because, I mean, you know, God wouldn't even say getting rid of the leather means throwing out all your good food. So you put it in the cabinet, sell the cabinet to a Gentile, and then you can get it back at the end of it. Uh, feast of bread. Same thing for restaurants if you're an uh, observant Jew. Now, if you're an observant Jew, well, that's, there's a whole lot of food regulations for observant Judaism. But anyway, so you got Passover. You go immediately into the Feast of Unleavened Bread. But that's two holidays. That's two holy days. Verse 6, and on the 15th day of the same month is the Feast of Unleavened Bread. To the Lord, for seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall have a holy convocation. Watch this. You shall not do any... Notice how, I'm assuming, in your translation, the word work is qualified somehow there. Should be, I hope. Or it may say ordinary work, common work. What the rabbis do with it, because you notice back up under Sabbath, no work. There's no qualifying adjective, no work. Period. But when you get in these festivals, uh, there there is a qualifying word, and my translation is nor do any ordinary work. So what the rabbis have uh, decided over the centuries, this means your vocation. You know, you don't do, you try to do nothing, include cooking and mashing buttons on an elevator. You try to do nothing on Shabbat. Uh, but for a seven-day festival, I mean, you got to do some things. But you should not do your vocation should not do your ordinary work. You should take off those seven days like we do for Christmas or something. You should take off. That's why you notice the Bible is really specific. You know, there's not extraneous words in the Bible. So that's why the work, the type of work that's forbidden here is different from what was forbidden with Sabbath. Um, verse 8. But you shall present a food offering to the Lord for seven days. On the seventh day is a holy convocation. You shall not do any ordinary work. Now, I'm going to show you just a little bit more and we're going to wrap up for today. The third festival begins at verse 9. And the Lord spoke to Moses. 
saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, When you come into the land and I give you and I give you and reap its harvest, you shall bring the sheaf of the first fruits of your harvest to the priest. And he shall wave the sheaf before the Lord so that, that you may be accepted. On the day after the Sabbath, I'm going to try to make this clear to you in a moment. On the day after the Sabbath, the priest shall wave it. And on the day when you wave the sheaf, you shall offer a male lamb, a year old without blemish, as a burnt offering to the Lord. And the grain offering with it shall be two-tenths of an ephah of fine flour, mixed with oil, a food offering to the Lord with pleasing aroma. And the drink offering with it shall be of wine, a fourth of a hen. And you shall eat neither bread nor grain, parched or fresh, until the same day. Until you have brought until you have bought the offering, brought the offering of your God as a statute forever throughout the generations in all your dwellings. Okay, let me show you something. So the, this is the festival of first fruits. So you've just been introduced to three festivals, right? Not counting Saturdays. That's not a festival. You, you were introduced. Yeah, it works. It writes. It writes. You were introduced to Passover. Then the next day. The seven days of the Feast of uh, Unleavened Bread happens. So um, I'm just going to write unleavened bread. You, you observe it for seven days. And then the day after the Sabbath. Notice how it said it in Leviticus. The day after the Sabbath, you, you do first fruits. Um I'm going to go back through these in just a second. You do, you, you do the, because first fruits is a one-day festival. Passover is a one-day festival. Unleavened bread will go for seven days. Okay, let me show you something here. We all know about Passover. And like I said, this year, Good Friday and Passover are simultaneous, which is kind of nice. Jesus is crucified on Passover. He, particularly in John's Gospel, he dies as they're killing the lambs. For Passover. John tells you a whole bunch of stuff like that. So here's Passover. Jesus dies on Passover. Okay, here's unleavened bread. What is the unleavened bread that most Jews eat that you can buy at Food Line? I heard it. Matzah. 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 If you looked at matzah lately, you know, it's that really flat bread. Not really that tasteless, but flatbread matzah. Uh, if you look at it, you will notice that it has stripes and it is, has holes punched in it. Um, and they're brown blemishes, browner than the white of the matzah. Now, some of you should already be making some connections here. When you look at matzah, think about Prophet Isaiah talking about Messiah, by his stripes you will be healed. Um, your afflictions will be healed because he bore the bruises. Uh, matzah in the Christian community, matzah is remi reminding us of Jesus. Matzah is literally striped and bruised and has holes in it. So there's this, we Christians think we see things there. So they start the Feast of Unleavened Bread on the day after Passover with matzah. That's when the matzah shows up. Now, so this is Friday when it when when the moon allows it to fall on Friday. 
which it happens this year. Good Friday, it, Jesus crucified, it was a Friday. It was, that's, that's just when Passover happened that year, because it can move, but it's, it is on Friday this year. So uh, Passover is on the Friday. This is the Saturday, the first day of unleavened bread. Um, one of the things you do, one of the things you do at the Seder meal on Passover is you take a piece of that matzah and you hide it away in a napkin and put it to the side to bring out later that which was striped and bruised and um, punctured. You put in a napkin, you place it to the side to bring it out later. I'm hoping some of you are connecting some dots here. Uh, so that's the Saturday. First fruits, which would be then what? Sunday. First fruits for the Jewish community, you sort of just read it. First fruits is the, is the, is the spring holiday that begins the harvest. Now, at Shavuot, you're going to celebrate the uh, barley harvest. And, um, and, then the, and then in the fall, uh, you'll, you'll celebrate um, the wheat harvest. A little bit later, you'll celebrate. I mean, at Pentecost, you'll celebrate the wheat harvest, not fall. You'll celebrate the wheat harvest. Um, but anyway, you got barley harvest. Then you got wheat harvest. But the first harvest, that's why you heard in Leviticus, you're waving sheaves, the first stuff's coming in. So, and, and you heard the word first fruits. First fruits. Now, I want you to shake your head yes. As I ask you, you do remember in 1 Corinthians 15, when Paul is talking about the resurrection of Christ, he says that Christ is the first fruits of the resurrection from the dead. Yeah, shake your head yes, you know that. He says, he says, uh, he references in chapter 15, I believe. I'm sure it's chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians. Because, and what, what Paul is saying is, Jesus is the first fruits of the resurrection from the dead. He's the first one to do it. But just like in Judaism, the, the celebration of first fruits is a celebration celebrating the goodness of God. Because if you have a first fruit, the beginning of the harvest, what do you have to have? A second, and a third, and a fourth, and a fifth, and a sixth fruit, etc., etc., etc. So that's why the first fruit is, a, is an assurance that God's going to provide. You know, what you got out of your garden on the first of the harvest, everything didn't automatically vaporize after that. You got some more stuff out of that garden, I hope. Unless I was the one to the garden. But hopefully you get some more stuff after you, after you get the first stuff out of the garden. So the, the celebration of first fruits, again, this is a calendar based on lunar moon activity and also it's an agricultural calendar. That's why harvest and things like barley harvest, wheat harvest, first fruits is significant because if the harvest don't happen in the first century, what happens to the people? They die. So it's an agricultural calendar. So look at this. Passover, you know about the connection with Exodus, Passover, freedom, deliverance. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll have a lot to talk about Passover and, 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 and the crucifixion of Christ. And we do some of that every year at Easter. The second day when he was laying in the ground, laying, not laying in the tomb, when he's laying in the tomb, uh, that's that broken, striped, bruised person being hidden away, like you do with matzah on this day to get ready for this day. You hide the matzah. Uh, but then on the third day, 
uh, comes the first fruits. The first of the harvest comes in. And that's why what Paul's saying is with Jesus being the first fruit of the resurrection of the dead, he's guaranteeing that there's going to be more. We're going to be the following fruits. We're going to follow Jesus in the resurrection of the dead. Um, these festivals are important to understand Christian theology. It's not just happenstance. He died on this day. He rose on this day. He could have rose on this day. He could have be, been in the grave eight days. But he died on Passover, was raised on first fruits. In the Remember, even in Leviticus, it says you start the first fruits after the Sabbath. Why couldn't they anoint the body of Jesus? It was Sabbath. They had to wait till the Sabbath passed, and they went to anoint the body of Jesus at the beginning of Sunday, and he wasn't there. So, um, yeah, when, when a Jew, particularly the first century, read the gospel story, they said, Lamb of God, Passover, hidden away for a day, and resurrection, but the first fruits of resurrection, guaranteeing that more is to come. Um, that's just a simple illustration that, you know, we, we kept the Hebrew Bible for a reason, when, when we decided uh, to, to keep it for a reason. It's about, about the 4th century, by the way, when we decided to keep the Hebrew Bible, uh, about the 3rd century. But in the 2nd century, there were a lot of Christians that said, we don't need that stuff. But the early Christian community said, no. You know, they weren't just trying to print larger Bibles, but they said, no, we're going to keep the Hebrew Bible and, and, the, and the New Testament Scriptures. So that's probably a good stopping point because what you have... So what, what we've talked about from Leviticus... Sabbath, which is not really a festival, it's their weekly observance. But then you talked about Passover, uh, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and the Feast of First Fruits. So this gets us to the Feast of Weeks, or Shavuot, or what we call Pentecost. Um, and then we move on to the fall festivals. So that's enough, because that's a pretty good stopping